The following message was preached at Redeemer Community Church. For more information about Redeemer, visit us online at www.redeemernc.org. Today's scripture reading comes from 2 Corinthians 9, 6-11. The point is this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, he distributed freely, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thanks, Kristen. So I'm trying to be more organized this year. And so I, uh, along with probably about 100 other million Americans, bought a planner a few weeks ago. We'll see how it works. This particular planner, as I was flipping through, had a space set aside at the end of each month labeled end of month reflection. So I'm going to be honest, I'm not good at reflecting. I'm more of a looking through the front windshield guy than I am a rearview mirror guy. Like, what's coming up? What's next? What's there to be excited about? But, you know, it's important to reflect. It's important from time to time to stop and and look back. We know this because we see that God builds this into his people's lives. So in the nation of Israel, they had these annual feasts and festivals. These were times of reflection, time to look back and see what God had done. We we have this time as we gather each week, right, this time of the Lord's Supper where we're looking back at what Jesus did for us and how that has impacted us and continues to impact us. Well, this morning what I want to do is I I want to reflect together. So it was the fall of 2020, a little over two years ago, where we entered a unique season together as a church. It was a season marked by generosity. We called that season It's Time. And in order to kick it off, what we did is we spent five weeks studying 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And we, were, we, were, we had some special times of prayer. We did a number of things. We were asking God to, to really work in us during this 25-month period that began December 2020 and ended at the end of 2022. And so as we went through this, these passages together, we pulled out five principles. And what I want to do this morning is I want to remind you of those, those five principles that, that we looked at together a couple years ago and, and t- use them as a way to just reflect together on the past two years and what God has done. So here is the first principle we looked at. It's this, it's time to excel in giving. It's time to excel in giving. So you can think of this section of 2 Corinthians like the Apostle Paul is sending home a report card for the Corinthian church. And overall, they receive really good scores. They'd be on the honor roll. But in, in the comments section, he, he encourages them because they excel in so many areas, but then he says there's one particular area where, where you can do better. One particular area where you don't excel, but, but you can excel. Look at verse 7, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7. He says, now as you excel in everything. Then he lists these things. Here's the grades. In faith, speech, knowledge, diligence, and in your love for us, always. 
excel also in this act of grace. Now, the act of grace he's referring to there is giving or generosity. He says, you excel in so many things, but I want you to excel in this thing as well, which is being generous. So this was the sort of the challenge we took on as a church two years ago. We said, okay, do we excel in giving? Do we excel in generosity? And frankly, we said, you know, it's something we hadn't talked about much for the previous 12 years, but, but it's time for us to really think about this. And so can we reflect God's character? Can we reflect his kindness to us in the way that we give, in the way that we're generous? Because no one outgives God. And so this is what we considered is that when we, when we excel in giving, what we do is we look like him. Like when God's children give generously, they look like their father because, because this is how God gives. And so to excel in giving meant more than the amount we gave, it was the attitude, the spirit in which we gave. I think sometimes we picture the way that God gives to us, right? He's got his arms folded. He's sort of got a stern look on his face. And we ask for something, and he sort of looks at us and goes, ha, them again? But that's not the biblical view, right? The biblical view is that God has his arms open wide and a big smile on his face, and he says, look, all of this belongs to me. Do you want to share it? And so if we're going to excel in giving, it was more than just about what we gave, it was how we gave. Now to encourage this church, the church in Corinth, to give, the Apostle Paul actually points them to the example of some other churches. There are some churches in Macedonia who were excelling in giving in spite of being under tremendous hardship. Look at verse 2 of chapter 8. He said, During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I can testify that according to their ability, and even beyond their ability, of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. So he says there's this group of churches who are being persecuted for their faith. Many of them have lost their jobs, and they hear that churches are raising money to help the church in Jerusalem, which is suffering under persecution and during a famine. And they're like, whoa, we want to help too. Can, can, please, 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 please. Can we, can we give towards it? Can we help? But Paul says the problem was, that, and he pictures their financial resources. He's like, they had wells, but there's no, there no water in their wells. In fact, he says they had extreme poverty. That means rock bottom. So there's a church with a well that has no water, and they say, we, we, we want to contribute water. And somehow, he says, somehow from that empty well, joy began to bubble up. And it kept bubbling up, and that joy overflowed the banks of the well, and it came out as generosity. Like this, the way Paul describes this, this is no less a miracle than water being turned into wine or a little, sam, a little lunch being turned into a feast for 5,000. Like that, that's what he means by excelling and giving is having this type of attitude and spirit. Now, one of the things he does in this passage that's really interesting is he never actually mentions giving. He just he talks about grace. And he uses it synonymously. In fact, eight times in these two chapters and four times in the first seven verses, he mentions grace. And here's, here's what he's getting at, is that the only way for us to excel in giving is if we've received the grace of God. And that's, that's what we have, right? We haven't received a payment from God. Like God doesn't say, oh, they're doing pretty good. Let me pay them for their good works. 
No, like Christian life is all about grace, right? Not a repayment, not, not, not because of anything noble in us that just comes as this undeserved gift from God through Jesus Christ. And so he says, he, he's helping to see that every time as Christians, we give to others, not repaying them, not, not rewarding them for something they've done, just blessing them. What we're doing is we're rehearsing the same grace-filled gospel that, that we've received. Because fundamentally, right, a Christian is just, it's someone who has received the grace of God. And that's what a Christian, if you're a Christian, you're just, you've received the grace of God, you've received it. That's, that's, that's who you are. And since we've experienced God's grace, he says, I want, Paul's saying, like, I want you guys to be channels of God's grace. Picture this as a difference between a swimming pool and a sprinkler. So we don't receive God's grace and store it like a pool for, for our enjoyment, for our pleasure, for our benefit. Instead, we, we receive the grace and we spread it far and wide like a sprinkler, and then we watch as others grow and produce fruit. We're checking accounts, not savings accounts. God deposits grace in us so that we'll write checks of grace, not hoard it for our future needs. And so, so this was our desire as we studied this, is we want to excel in giving. We want to be, that's the people we want to be. And so how are we doing? If we look back two years later, what, what would the report card say? Now, for answer, let me give a quick caveat that as I said, generosity cannot be measured solely in numbers, but I do think the numbers help tell the tale. So let's look at them for a moment. 2018, right before we started to raise money to build, we, our yearly giving was around $425,000. 2019, as we said, okay, we need to start, we need to get some land. This is the next step. This is what God is calling us to do. We saw a significant increase to just over $600,000, which is about a 40% increase. So, when we were going through this, though, we said, this, that's not enough. Um, we want to excel in giving. That's good. That's improvement. That's great. But we set what we thought was a pretty audacious goal of, in this 25-month period, these two years, is to give $2.4 million, which basically doubles what we had given for two straight years. Now, we thought that's a pretty faith-stretching goal to do that. Well, here's what God did. In the 25-month period from December 2020 through the end of 2022, you gave over $4 million. I mean, praise God for his grace. Praise God for his grace. Redeemer, let me just commend you. I think this is what it looks like to excel in giving. Now, I just want to remind you, if you were here, if you weren't here, I'm going to inform you then, our prayer was never to have a season of generosity. Our prayer was that God would create in us a culture of generosity. So it doesn't stop now. Like this is a day, I think, that's set aside for giving thanks and celebrating, but it's not, we haven't reached, we're still here. <laughs> like we're not done yet. Like God produce in us a culture of generosity. And he's doing that. And so we thank him for that. Here's the second principle we looked at. We said it's time first, right? to excel in giving, but this is so closely connected to it, it's time to demonstrate our love. What we love is revealed by how we choose to spend our time, our money, and our energy. And so that's why when we're talking about giving, we're not primarily talking about our physical resources. That's why numbers can't really capture it. We're talking about the disposition of our heart toward God and towards others, that there's this intimate and unbreakable connection between what you love and how you give. 
So I want you to go to the center of this passage. It's this beautiful short verse, verse 9. It says this. It's this picture of Jesus' love. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. He says, listen, the greatest example of love is Jesus. He, the eternally existent Son of God, was born as a human baby. Then he lived this remarkably ordinary life, died in the place of sinners. His death brought forgiveness. He was raised from the dead and assures us of life forever with God. And so why is Jesus the standard by which all loving actions are measured? Well, because he gave the most. The greatness of his love is seen in the greatness of his loving sacrifice for others. I want you to see how Paul condenses so much Christian theology right? into such a simple metaphor, one that even a kid can understand. Someone really, really, really rich chose to become really, really, really poor. You tell that to a child and they would say, well, why? So a whole lot of really, really, really poor people could become rich. Now we know the riches here. It's not talking about physical riches. That's not what this is about. If you're not familiar with Redeemer, we're not a prosperity gospel church. We're not saying give money so that God will inflate your bank account so that you can pamper yourself. Not at all. This is talking about something far deeper than, something far more valuable than physical riches. How was Jesus rich? Well, certainly in one sense, you could say Jesus had a big bank account. Ultimately, he's God. He owns everything. But that's not at all what he's talking about. In fact, when he came and lived, he did not live in comfort. He lived in poverty. Right? This means everything of worth, everything of value already belonged to Jesus. And what are the things of most value? Time and life. Glory and honor, happiness, respect, security, belonging, relationships. As all of these things that really matter, Jesus had them all. That his, his relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and the Trinity, this perfect relationship overflowed with life and love and glory and joy. It was missing nothing, nothing was lacking. And yet some, for some reason, and that reason is his Deep, deep love for us. Jesus chose to leave all of this to come to earth. He gave up the glory that was his. He humbled himself, not just becoming human, but becoming a criminal, dying on the place, dying in our place, bearing the curse of our sin. For a brief moment, we're told he became sin for us. Why? Wow, he experienced the death of poverty in that moment when God judged him for our sin. And the only reason he did it was because his people. The people he loved were poor, lacking spiritual life, no hope, no future, no power to fix the situation, no means to address our poverty. We're weak and helpless, so Jesus gave everything so that those who had nothing might become something. And Jesus did this so we could become children of the king, heirs of his kingdom. So let me just ask you, are you a child of God? Before I go any further, are you a Christian? Have you received the grace of God? Are you part of God's family through faith in Jesus Christ? Like this is the greatest gift. You are poor. And no amount of effort you do will make you rich before God. It only comes through Jesus. So here's what we see in Jesus. We see the greatest love and the greatest gift. And you could no more separate Jesus giving from his love than you could separate waves from the ocean. 
And just as the ocean sends more waves crashing to the shore, the love of Jesus sends everyday new grace and new mercy and new kindness washing over us. So brothers and sisters, here's what we committed to as we talked about this two years ago, that we will demonstrate our love not through eloquent speeches or grand statements, but we will demonstrate our love by sacrificing to meet those, to help meet the needs of those who are desperate. And let me commend you again, your generosity over the past two years. It's been to those in need. There are so many stories, many of those stories we don't even get to share because they involve difficult and private situations, but you, your generosity has impacted so many, so many in need. You've impacted other churches as we've, as we've sent gifts to them, as we've sent people, as we've encouraged and supported them. You've, you've given to those serving overseas. You've given to those in our community. You've given to each other. And let me just commend you, this demonstrates your love. We excel in giving because we look like our Father in the way that we love practically and sacrificially. Here's the third principle, right? It's time to send more workers. This is sort of the natural overflow of the other two, right? You, you excel in giving your resources, and guess what? You eventually want to send people to follow those resources, if, you're, if generosity is fueled by the gospel, it overflows. And like we need to send some people too, not just resources. We need to send people to help. There are some desperately poor people in other places who desperately need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we must send people there. And Paul is here in these verses. He's not really giving a series of commands. He says, let me just sort of share with you what's going on. And in this, it's instructive. He talks about a man named Titus whose heart was stirred by God to go to Corinth to help collect that love offering and then travel 800 miles. This was 2,000 years ago. He wasn't hopping on a plane. 8,000 miles to the city of Jerusalem where there was persecution and famine in order to give this gift. So he talks about how God stirred this man's heart to go, but he didn't go alone. Look at verse 18 of chapter 8. We have sent with him, with Titus, the brother who is praised among all the churches for his gospel ministry. And not only that, but he was appointed by the churches to accompany us with this gracious gift that we are administering for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. They, they sent a team with Titus. And we listen, this is how we think it should happen. Going alone is never ideal. So this is what we committed to. You've heard this if you've been around. When we send out people, we want to send them in teams, and so we're going to ask you, every single member, will you pray about going out as part of a church planting team? Every single one of you. Will you pray? Will you pray about going out as part of a church planting team? I'm going to go into an area with the gospel so that those who haven't heard can, can hear and be saved. Let's make this very specific. Next year about this time, we're going to begin ready to send Tyler and Jackie Eason and their family to Greenville where they're planting a church, and we don't want to send them alone. We need to send them with families. Will you start praying about that and say, God, what about us? Could we go with them? Could we go and be part of this? You can have a great opportunity over the next few weeks. Starting this morning and the next four weeks after this, we're sending families to go with the Kitchens and the Wagners in Concord. And they're going to go for that Sunday as, they, as this new church is birthed. And they're just going to, there's families here that are going to go and they're going to be with them and help and encourage and be part of that. Why wouldn't you go? 
Can you take one Sunday out of the next four and go and encourage that brand new church? I think right now we have about 15 families. That's like 10% of our church that's going over the next five weeks. Like we need to send people. We need to go ourselves. And I want you to notice this. As we ask people to go, we ask that God will send some of our most gifted and effective members. That's not a loophole. Don't be like, I thought I might have to go until Josh said gifted and effective. I'm off the hook. Notice he says here, this, this brother who's joining Titus is like, all these churches praise him. But, but this, is, this, this is a mark of true generosity. All the churches looked at this brother and said, man, like he's the best. And none of them fought to keep him. They're like, that's why we've got to send him. Now, it's interesting to me that in this section, there are three brothers that talks about they joined together to make this trip, and only one of the brothers' names is mentioned. And I think this just reminds us that most of us, will just, we're going to serve God in obscurity. A few of us will be known or remembered, but here's the thing. God knows the names of these other two. We don't. We don't need to know them, but God does. Listen, it's, it's always been our desire, Redeemer. We want to send out workers. But we, I think about two years ago, we sort of renewed this commitment as we studied through this. Like, it's not just a desire. This is a drive. We must be sending people out for the sake of the gospel. And so what I want you to do now is I want you to hear from three that we sent out since we first started talking about this that are serving on three different continents right now. Hey, Redeemer family. Uh, Ian here with just a quick update from Concord. Uh, as you guys know, we just had our first practice services that have begun with Risen Church, and in just a couple weeks, we'll be officially launching as a church. I want to thank you guys so much for, uh, from 2019 to 2021, being such an amazing church home for my family, and I know for the Wagners for many more years before that. And thank you for, the, over this last year, just supporting us in so many ways and helping us to get started here in Concord. I pray that we'll just be a blessing to this community the same way that you guys are there in Fuquay Arena. We love and miss you and thank you so much for your support and partnership in the gospel. Hi, Redeemer. Thank you um, for being our sending church. We are grateful for Redeemer being a model church who prioritizes the kingdom of God and wants to see God glorified throughout the nations. So thank you for loving us well. Thank you for preparing us to be here. And thank you for just being an amazing church and for modeling what a healthy church looks like for our family so that we can reproduce one hopefully here in Montenegro. We love you guys. Bye. Bye. Hi everyone, I'm Timothy Fisher. And I'm Winnie Fisher. And we're here in Kampala, Uganda, where we've been for about a month now. Yes, we actually just concluded a training in Muslim evangelism. And we're right now we're standing in the neighborhood where the refugees live that we're, that we're serving among. And we just wanted to say thank you so much for your love and your care and support. It means so much to us. And, yes. Yeah. Yes, we really appreciate Redeemer Community Church. Bye. God bless. You know, one of the benefits of sending out workers, and Nate Aiken, when he was with us last week, talked about this, how we cooperate together with churches to do this, is that we get to be an example to other churches. So in verse 24, 
this is really interesting. The Apostle Paul wants them to demonstrate their love before other churches. And here's what he's saying. He's saying to us, other churches are watching you. Like other churches, they're watching. Will you be an example to them? Verse 24, he says, therefore, show them proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you. So Paul said, I've been telling them what God is doing in you. Now I want you to do it because they're watching. You're an example to them. Right? He, he so desperately wants these churches to demonstrate the fundamental ethic of Christianity, which is radical self-giving love. And he says, when you do that, you provided a much needed example to other churches. Brothers and sisters, one church can impact a number of other churches to look beyond their own plans to the greater work of God's kingdom. This is a burden, but it's a, it's a privilege, it's an opportunity that we need to respond to. We need to be an example to other churches. We don't say that with pride, not because we're special or because we've done anything because of the grace of God at work in us. We need to be an example. Our churches, our community is filled with churches and some of those churches don't preach the gospel anymore, and so we would say they forfeit the right to be called a church. But a lot of those churches preach the gospel on Sundays, but they really struggle to live and send generously. Right? They, they've, they've, over time, grown very inward-focused to the point where they don't even realize it. They, they don't even realize that they're just sort of focused on themselves. And so we, we need to be an example to them. We need to live in such a way that they might see it and be like, that's a little weird. Your church does weird things. And we say, yeah. Yeah, we do. But it's pretty awesome. Like, this is what God is calling us to do. We need to be an example to other churches in the way we send our people and we give our people out with joy to serve other places. Here's the fourth principle. It's time to sow with joy. It's time to sow with joy. So Paul, Paul has this proverbial saying about sowing and reaping. And what he wants us to do, he wants us to think about a farmer who's out in the field in the spring and the, the ground is already plowed, it's prepared for planting, and he wants us to ask this question. If the farmer wants a large and bountiful harvest, should he plant a small number of seeds or a large number of seeds? Look at verse 6 of chapter 9. The point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. So a farmer who only plants a few seeds will only reap a few plants. So I want you, I want you right now to picture that farmer. Just picture him in your mind. He's walked out into the field, and he's got a bag over his shoulder, and this bag is filled with seed, and he reaches in, he takes a big handful of seed, and then he walks down the rows, and he swings his arm. But he never opens his hand. Swinging his arm, swinging his arm, swinging his arm. If he does that the whole length of the field, swinging his arm, fist clenched, what will his harvest be like? An open-handed farmer reaps a far greater harvest than a closed-fisted one. Like th this principle, God has woven it throughout his world so that we just would recognize it and understand the truth of it. That if you want to reap something, you've got to sow something. So do you want to be a great athlete? Or just sit on the couch? Watch people on TV. You'll be great. No, we know that doesn't work. Oh, you've got to get up early and you've got to go lift and you've got to run and you've got to exercise. You've got to train harder than everyone else. Do you want to be a great musician? Like, listen to music really loud on your headphones. 
That'll make you great. No, you've got to practice till your fingers bleed. You want to be good at school? You've got to actually study. See, this is one of the principles that God built into his world when he made it. And so he does it so he can teach us this truth about generosity that the one who sows little, he's going to reap little, but the one who sows a lot, reaps a lot. In verse 10, he continues this metaphor of the seed and says a couple profound things. He says that all the seed you have in that bag, it, it belongs to God anyway. And he says the whole process from seed to ground, from ground to grain, from grain to bread, well, all of that is because God cares for you too. All of it from start to finish because of God. Look at verse 10. He says, now the one who provides seed for the sower... So that bag full of seed. And the one who provides bread for food. So the whole process from seed to bread. He says he will also provide and multiply your seed. And increase the harvest of your righteousness. So he says when you're, when you're sowing the seeds that God has given you. And God is caring for you. So those seeds go into the ground. And they produce grain. And grain produces bread. Then you can also be confident of this. That God is going to bring from those seeds a harvest of righteousness. And he's going to give you more seeds to plant. And so, so this is what he's, I think, trying to get us to wrestle with. Since all of this belongs to God, you belong to God, the seed belongs to God, the sun and the soil and the water and the bread, it all belongs to God. Why do we hold on to it so tightly? Right? He's saying, do you trust this God, the God who sends the sun, God who sends the rain, and the God who gives you seed? Do you trust him enough to open your hands up? See, open hands are necessary if we're going to let the seed go. But listen, open hands are necessary as well if we're going to receive the blessings that God gives in return. I don't have enough time, and I probably don't have enough emotional capacity to to talk about all the blessings that we've received over the last almost 15 years as a church. Or, Or honestly, probably even the last two years. I would just tell you this. Our hands are not large enough to receive them. That God has... His kindness has been poured out on us to such a degree that, that we, we, we can't even fathom his goodness to us. Their blessings are too many to count and too many to contain. You know, if there's anyone, I think, who had a reason not to be generous, it was these first Christians. Many of them were poor. Most of them were persecuted. They were a minority. But they were generous. They begged for the opportunity to be generous. And look what happened. Think about this. We right here, right now, are the harvest from the seeds they planted. That the seeds these first Christians planted nearly 2,000 years ago are still bearing fruit around the world. And so this is what, this is what we, we have said we will ask as a church. What seed are we planting now that will bear fruit 2,000 years from now? We're not just going to live for ourselves. What are we doing right now that's going to bear fruit in 200 years? What are we doing right now that's going to bear fruit in 20 years? Like we are going to sow with joy and trust that God will bring a harvest beyond what we can even ever conceive of. Then here's the fifth principle. And this really is based upon the previous four. If we're committed to the previous four, then this is just the natural result, and it's this. It's time to celebrate his work. 
If you've ever taken a child to see fireworks, then I wonder if your experience was something like this. Is this the grand finale? No, they just started. Is this the grand finale? Not yet. Is this the grand finale? You'll know when it's the grand finale. See, all of this teaching about generosity culminates in verses 11 through 15, and it shows us that the grand finale of generosity is gratitude. That, that, that when people are generous, it, it just produces gratitude. Generosity and gratitude, they're not identical twins, but they, they're best friends, and you always find them together. So he starts with the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem, it's poor, right? It's suffering. There's going to be this gift that comes from other churches and travels 800 miles to them, and it's coming to them in their time of need. What do you think they're going to do when they receive it? Well, they're going to be grateful, aren't they? But notice what they're going to be grateful for. They're not just grateful for the gift. The Apostle Paul says they're going to be grateful for something far bigger than that. Look at verse 13 of chapter 9. Because of the proof provided by this ministry, this gift, they will glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. And as they pray on your behalf, they will have deep affection for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Do you see what they're thanking God for? I mean, they're thankful for the gift, but they're thankful for something much better. They're like, look at what God is doing in his people around the world that they would sacrifice to give to help us. Right? So, so the church began in Jerusalem, and, and God used all these means to spread the church to other places. And now those churches in, the other place, in other places are they're banding together to help this church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem will get it, and they'll say, Wow, God, look at what you've done. Look at what you're doing in these cities, these pagan cities. You're saving people and you're growing them. And the gospel is bearing such fruit that they're now generous to us. You see, the reason that the Jerusalem church would thank God when they received this gift is because they understood that we give out of what we've been given. We give out of what we received. So verse 14 says that Christians have received the surpassing grace of God. Verse 15, we have received his indescribable gift, right? So we have received Jesus, the greatest gift, and that means every time a church or a Christian gives generously, they're demonstrating the grace of Jesus in them because it takes grace to give. And the more we give, the, more, the deeper it is, the more sacrificial it is, it means that we have to draw even more deeply on the grace of Jesus. And so, so the church in Jerusalem is looking at the sacrificial giving of these churches, the church in Corinth and Macedonia, and they're saying, wow, what grace God has given them so they give so generously. See, grace is the foundation of the Christian life. We deserve judgment from God because of our sin. But instead of judgment, we receive grace through Jesus Christ. This is Christianity. Jesus took the punishment that belongs to us so that we can receive the blessings which belong to him. And then after we receive him, what does he do? He just keeps pouring grace into our lives. He gives us an unlimited source of power to display his values of kindness, compassion, grace, and generosity. The grace 
of Jesus is a well that never runs dry, a battery that never needs to be charged, a tank that is never empty. It surpasses our weakness and sin, our selfishness and envy, our stinginess and fear. See, it is the grace of Jesus that produces generosity. So when we are generous, not only are those who receive it grateful, we're grateful because it's Jesus' work in us. And so that's what Paul says. You're going to celebrate, too, God's good work in you. So he says this generosity, it leads to gratitude because you have, on one hand, people that are receiving the kindness. And they're seeing it as a work of God. And so they, they express their praise to God for the generosity of his people, his work in them. And then on the other hand, you have the people, they're the ones giving the gift and they know that the only reason they can give the gift is because of God's grace at work in them. And so as they're, as they're sacrificing and giving, they're just praising God. Like, God, I know this isn't natural. And I'm, they're receiving Jesus' grace and they're, they're thanking him for it. He says, but then there's a third group. And he includes himself in this group. They're not the ones receiving. They're not the ones giving. They're the ones watching on the sidelines. But they don't watch like the crowd. They watch like the cheerleaders. Like Apostle Paul, look at him in verse 11. He says, you will be enriched in every way for all of your generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God, notice what he says, through us. I mean, this is some weird science. Their act of generosity produces gratitude in him. He's not getting the gift. He's not giving the gift. He's just watching it. And yet he's so thankful for what God is doing. See, God produces generosity in his people and then he lets others see it. And those others recognize his work and thank him for it. There are some people who've seen God's work of grace and Redeemer, and they want to join us in thanking God and celebrating what he's doing in us. Morning, Redeemer Community Church. Greetings from Ohio. April and I uh, talk often about uh, the great work that God did in our lives uh, through Redeemer Community Church and just thankful for the way that you guys have not only received the word, but that the word is active among you. And um, just talked through Thessalonians and just had the thought that I'm grateful that your faith is working, your love is laboring, and you are hoping in the return of Christ to such an extent that you're holding so loosely to the things of this world and that sounds like it's expressing itself in generosity. So I celebrate with you today about all that God is doing uh, there at Redeemer. God bless. Hello, Redeemer friends and family. Congratulations on the outcome of your generosity campaign. From the earliest days of the church, you have been a generous people. So I am not surprised by this at all. I pray that God's grace will continue to work through you and that you will be a generous people for years to come and God will use this for his glory in Fuquay and around the world. Hey, Redeemer family, it's so good to hear what God is doing in your midst, how he continues to build his church there in Fuquay Verena. When Josh sent the email, I was just overjoyed with God's work of grace in your life's for his glory. Uh, and as I read in Philippians the other day, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Oh, God is good and he is using you to share his glory. 
Greetings, brothers and sisters of Redeemer Community Church. The funds that you have raised have exceeded well beyond your initial goals and expectations. This is a great encouragement, and I surely will share it with my brothers and sisters at Cornerstone, and it will be an encouragement to them. Continue in the work. Keep your eyes focused on Christ, where he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Hey, uh, Redeemer, we wanted real quick, it's Russ and Mona Jean here. We haven't gotten to, and she's even got her eyes open for the first Yay. time regularly today. And there's Kate in the background. She's we just up. wanted to tell you that um, we're excited about how the Lord's working. I remember when we did envelopes uh, there to raise money. Some of you will chuckle about the envelopes probably, but um, that we were trying to raise, I can't remember, 500000 or something. And I, I remember thinking, we're not going to ever get that. And I was sort of right. We got way beyond that. The Lord provides more than even what we think we need. And so we're excited, excited to come and visit and see how the Lord continues to work in Fuquay and thankful for all your prayers and love. So I want you to imagine that it's the 4th of July. You're sitting in your lawn chair, you're covered in bug spray, and you're looking up at the stars as you watch the grand finale of the fireworks. Right? It's the best, best part, the grand finale. It's breathtaking. How did, how did it all begin? It began with a spark, right? A spark lit a fuse. A fuse burned and it sent a firework into the sky. The firework exploded. And then a bunch of explosions happening together make this grand finale, this chain reaction. And I think that's what we see here in these two chapters. You have a chain reaction that begins with a spark of grace. Right? That, that God's grace to us in Christ lit a fuse that bursts forth in generosity and that explosion after explosion of generosity combines to, to this final grand finale of gratitude to God for his kindness. So this chain reaction of grace, generosity, and gratitude. And so what I want to do to end this sermon is I want to give thanks to God together right here, right now for God's grace to us in so many ways. We don't want to simply thank God for changing our needs. We want to thank God for changing our hearts in the process. And so stand with me. I want us to explode together in a song of thanksgiving to God. So this is the grand finale. So let's sing loud. So sing with me, really, with all of your strength in gratitude to God for his good work. Father, we are grateful. All that we have is undeserved. There's nothing in us that deserved your grace. In fact, while we were your enemies, you demonstrated your love to us. And Father, this is what we want to reveal. Thank you. You have been doing this good work in us. Lord, I think we could each look individually and say, oh, there's so much, so much further to go. I know I'm still too selfish and too, too tight-fisted. And so, Lord, help, help this work continue Lord, our prayer is we want to be not just have a moment that we can look back and say, wow, look at the work God did then, but we want to have a culture where we're seeing and recognizing and thanking you for your work. We want to be a people that are generous with everything we have, that we're generous with, with our money, certainly, but beyond that, we're generous with our time to help someone in need, our time that we give to a friend who's struggling, that we're generous with our energy, that we don't get home and say like, oh, I'm just too tired, but in our tiredness and our weakness that we will still give of ourselves. Help us be generous with our words, 
with the way that we encourage and strengthen and complement others. Lord, Lord, mark us as being generous. We never look more like you than when we're generous. And so, Father, thank you for what you're doing in us. We do praise you. We know it's not because of us. And it would be wrong for us to ignore your good work. But, Lord, we ask you to help us to continue to excel. Excel still more that this will mark us as a church. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Community Church in Fuquay, Verena, North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more sermons, we invite you to visit us online at RedeemerNC.org.